Are you also tired of one-size-fits-all weight loss plans? Meet Noom, the personalized solution that meets you where you are. Noom is able to understand your unique needs, from dietary restrictions to medical concerns. Unlike restrictive programs, Noom embraces your lifestyle and choices. Discover a sustainable approach to weight loss, tailored just for you. Honestly, Noom felt like it was made for me. It's not just about what I eat. It's about understanding why. With Noom, I've learned so much about myself and built healthier habits that stick. It's all about progress, not perfection. Say goodbye to restrictive diets and experience the Noom app for yourself with personalized lessons and expert coaching. Noom's psychology and biology-based approach has helped over 5.2 million people achieve their goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Are children really the future of mankind? Or telepathic freaks ready to expose our secrets? And then we attend a real-life exorcism to take a look at a story of a Monsignor who had been expelling demons left and right, a professional exorcist who's traveled around the world. But his biggest challenge ever? Sending a human soul back to hell. That soul belonged to Judas, today on Dead Rabbit Radio. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. we got a ton of stuff to cover, so we're going to get started right away, sliding into Dead Rabbit Command on a ocean of milk. It's totally flooding. I hope you're not lactose intolerant. You may die this episode. It's Milk Umochi. Milk Umochi, I'm doing. I'm hoping that's how you pronounce your name. You are sentient milk. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Milky Moochie says we'll give you robot hands or something so you can pilot the vehicle. Milky Mochi, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon or you're not liquid-based life form, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Milky Mochi. We're going to give you some gloves and some boots. <laughs> now you're just it's still a puddle of milk where there's boots and gloves there. And we're going to shovel you in. We're going to put you in buckets and just put the bucket in the Dead Rabbit rowboat. Everyone grab an oar. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed out to... I didn't think this one out. There's no water where we're going to. We circle around America and we end up in a small town in suburban America. We're going to crash this party. We show up. We're like, who wants free milk? Mochi's like, no, no, don't drink me. Don't drink me. Who wants free milk? There's this dude named Mike. It's his birthday party. And he's sitting there. And he's an adult. He's like in his 20s. And he's like, has a little birthday party. He still likes birthday hats. And he has a pinata and balloons and everything. He's sitting there. And his five-year-old niece, Natalie, walks up and goes, Hi, Uncle Mike. I love you so much. I drew a picture of you. And he's, he's like the cheapskate. That's the only gift you can get. Come on, I know you get an allowance, kid. She shows him the picture. And the picture's in the show notes. But I'll describe it to you. Because some of you are driving. You guys are trying to look it up. Cars are sliding everywhere. You hit a giant puddle of milk. It's a picture of a birthday cake. It's all poorly drawn. <laughs> She's five. She's five. So don't expect to see some Thomas Kincaid stuff. It's a birthday cake. 
And then there's a man. These are all stick figures. There's a stick figure sitting in a chair. There's another stick figure on what appears to be their knees in front of the man in the chair. And then there's a third stick figure who is identified as a woman, has long hair, like how a little girl would draw a woman's stick figure. And she has her hands to her face. She's sad. Mike's looking at this picture and he's like, what? What? What tarnation is this? I love you, Uncle Mike. You save that forever. She goes back, goes to drink more milk. So why are we talking about this, this child's drawing? There was a post online recently where it was like, misunderstood children's drawings. Like, isn't it so funny? It's supposed to be this thing, but it's really this other thing. You had all these responses. Oh, that one's fake. That one's real. Da, 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 da. But in the middle of all that stuff is a deleted post. It's actually been removed from the internet. Now, I have also posted his post on, I put it in the show notes, but I removed his name. I actually took a screenshot of it. I was so interested by the story. When I saw it, I took a screenshot, but I posted so you could actually see what he wrote. I removed any identifying information from the post itself because obviously he doesn't want this part to to remain out there connected to him. But he says, I got this picture from my five-year-old niece. The weirdest thing is, and again, this was all about like children's drawings, like funny children's drawings that could be misinterpreted. He goes, I asked her, what's going on in this picture? And she goes, I don't know. She goes, that's you in the chair, but I don't know who that person is by you. And he points to the woman who's walking away. He goes, who's that? And she goes, that's your girlfriend. She's sad. And he said, he goes, what is really terrifying was at the time, not while this birthday party was going on, but he goes, in this period of time, I was cheating on my girlfriend. When my girlfriend left, he goes, I had more than one woman swing by my place and give me a blowjob. We weren't sleeping together. Eating's not cheating. This was his motto. He goes, there's no way she would have known that. There's no way at all she would have known that. But here is a drawing of what was going on. Now, according to this, and this is gone now. We have the screenshot, but there's no follow-up to this that I could find. So it's not like his girlfriend caught him. But one of the things, I've never cheated on anyone in a relationship. But one of the things about when you do cheat on someone in the relationship, they know. They know. So his girlfriend probably was sad because she knew something was off and she couldn't figure it out. I find that super fascinating. And it's so funny. I saw that. It was so fascinating to me. I took a screen. I read nonsense all the time. And I saw that and it stuck with me. And I, I read that during the vacation. I took a screenshot, which I'm glad I did. I, you know, stuff gets deleted all the time. And it's a one-off creepy story, right? This guy is engaging in a horrible act. He's cheating on his significant other. And this child somehow knows what's going on. She, she says, I don't know what the person's doing down between, like, the, the little girl wasn't drawing a sex act. But she was somehow seeing this. She didn't know what it was, though. And what's so funny about this is I have a similar story that I have had in my maybe folder for over a year. I researched this 400 episodes ago, and I thought it was too creepy, even for Dead Rabbit Radio. I thought it was too weird and too disturbing, even for Dead Rabbit Radio, but it is so related to this. Milku Moochie, get behind the wheel of that Jason Jalopy. We're driving a couple houses down. It's the same neighborhood. It's a really weird neighborhood. We're once again in a suburban neighborhood in America, I presume. It could be in the Balkan states for all I know. But we're walking into this house. It's really nice. It's a really nice house. 
There's a little party going on. People drinking wine, watching the big game. And as you kind of move through the house, you start to see like the crowd gets a little younger. So now it's like teenagers and stuff like that. Hey, Wally, you want to go play ping pong? Apparently, Where's the beaver at? Apparently this house is in the 1950s. This story actually takes place in the early 2000s. But you know how parties kind of break out. You have the adults hang out. The little kids are normally hanging out with the adults. Then you have the middle kids are kind of making their own group. And then the teenagers. It's a pretty big party. And in this crowd of people, there's a young man named, well, I'm going to make up a name. If this is his actual name, if you're listening to this and this happened to you and your name happened to be Jones, I apologize, but we're going to meet this young man named Jones. And before this party even starts, I have to go back in time a little bit. Before this party even starts, Jones is sitting at home alone. It's the early 2000s. He's just hanging out, listening to some 41. And he comes up with an idea. He's like, some 41? Hmm, that will make me think of this next thing. Some 41 makes him think, hmm, I wonder what it would be like to taste my own ejaculate. I don't think he, don't think he used those words. I don't think he was Dr. Frankenstein. But he, he, he thinks, I wonder what would happen if I tasted this stuff. It's not like, I wonder what would happen. He's not going to turn into a monster. He's not going to turn into Frankenstein. It's not that he, he was just wondering. He was curious about tasting it. But he's, this guy is Jones, if anything, Jones is a go-getter. Jones does, he's not just going to like put it in a cup like some lame-o. Jones actually comes up with the idea to somehow do this. Apparently, apparently he belongs to Cirque du Soleil. He's going to not only taste his own ejaculate, he's going to ejaculate into his own mouth. So he's going to like... He's built like a track. He gets a Hot Wheels track and makes a loop-de-loop or something like that. I, I assume he's standing on his arms, standing on his hands at this point. But anyways, he comes up with this idea to ejaculate in his own mouth. And he does. And then he instantly regrets it, right? He, Which which is the post-coital regret. Um, he's like, that was, <laughs> was a bad idea. One, I didn't turn into the wolf, man. Two, my arms are super uncomfortable. Three, this, <laughs> this is gross. This is just gross in my mouth. The next day, so that all happened the day before the party. Next day, it's the party. Hey, now, you're an all-star. He's so glad some 41's not playing on the radio. He can never listen to that band again. He's walking around the party. He's doing finger guns to people. Oh, Jones, you're such a crack-up. You're such a load. <laughs> Is that even a term? Do you ever call someone who's like a cut-up? Oh, that guy's such a load. <laughs> From now on, when someone's really funny, be like, dude, you're such a load. <laughs> anyway, so that joke makes sense. Anyways, he's walking around. He goes and he's on the trampoline in the backyard. There's this big trampoline in the backyard. Everyone's bouncing up and down on it. And there's all these kids, all these young people, teenagers, everything are jumping on this giant trampoline. One of the people on the trampoline is this boy named Opie. And he was mute, he was deaf, and he was mentally challenged. But that's okay. It's a trampoline, right? You don't need any of that stuff to enjoy bouncing up and down, bouncing up and, down and almost breaking your limbs every three seconds. So Jones is bouncing on the trampoline. Opie's bouncing on the trampoline. A bunch of people are bouncing on the trampoline. But over time, families are like, Betty, time to go home. Oh, your, your dad's such a load. All those jokes he was telling. Over time, over time, people are leaving the party till eventually only Jones and Opie are bouncing up and down on this trampoline. The sun barely peeking over the mountain range. A crow, a crow is sitting watching the two young men still on the trampoline. Caw! Caw! 
Jones Jones is not aware of the sinister events. Him and Opie are bouncing on a trampoline by themselves, and then Opie kind of like does a little belly flop to start doing tricks. All of a sudden, it's super showing off. He kind of jumps down, and then he's sitting there, and Opie stares at Jones and starts laughing. <laughs> but Opie's laughing, and Jones is kind of still bouncing on the trampoline, being like, why is he, why is he laughing? Opie's like younger than him. Opie's a younger teenager. And Jones is still bouncing up and down on the trampoline. And Opie is kind of rocking back and forth laughing. And is pointing at Jones laughing. And Jones kind of starts bouncing slower and slower and goes, Why are you laughing at me? He said that Opie pointed at his crotch and started pretending to masturbate. And then pointing out his mouth. While the whole time with his other hand pointing at me. And he's laughing. Jones has lost all interest in the trampoline at this point. No bouncing allowed. He's just staring at Opie. And he thought there was no way, there was no way this kid could have known what I did. It was just yesterday. I totally regret doing it. I instantly regretted doing it. And here it is, just me and Opie on this trampoline, and he knows my shame. Jones just kind of shook his head, but he knew... That the kid was right. Jones takes one final jump off the trampoline and heads back inside the house. It's creepy. It's so funny because I didn't tell that story one because I didn't want to embarrass the guy. Even though he posted it online, I assumed at some point he would erase it. It has been erased. Two, it's more sexually suggestive than a lot of stuff I cover on this show. Three, it's downright disturbing. I find this really fascinating. I find this story really fascinating. Because what you have is two children spread across... These stories take place across different decades. And they're able to not only see something they shouldn't have information about, but they're actually able to see a secret the narrators are trying to hide. It's not like they're thinking, oh, you had grapes today, right? As you have grape jelly all over your shirt. They're actually seeing something that you would remain... That you wished would remain hidden. It's like they're tapped into some sort of guilt matrix. Very odd detail. Could be completely made up. Could be a one-off thing. I thought it was weird that I've come across at least two cases of this. And you wonder if it happens more often. That more... I'm not saying all children, but there could be a lot of children out there who are able to tap into other people's sins. They can't make sense of them because these sins are so adult... The emotions are so adult, the actions are so adult, and the children can't really understand what they're seeing or sensing. So they have to use childlike terms to describe it. But here's the thing. We all know, we all know children are creepy by default. So if even a few of them have this power, no more no more babies. No more babies can be born. Now the next time babies are like walking by, I'm like, move along. Nothing to see here. No mental stuff to see here. They see me eating a bunch of grapes, drinking my Patreon supporters. Milk you, Mochi. Let's go ahead and call in that carpenter cop to relieve me behind the suburban neighborhood. We are headed out to the Vatican City. This was a really cool story that was sent to me by AZ. Really, really appreciate this one. It's funny, when he sent it over to me, I kind of thought it was a joke. Not that he was playing a joke on me. He's all April Fool's. It's that it sounded funny when I first heard of it. And then I looked into it, and it's quite terrifying. It was a nice little twist 
I was like, I liked being surprised on the story, so thank you, AZ. We're in Vatican City, and we are here just in time. We're attending a exorcism seminar. <laughs> you're going to be for an actual exorcism. You're like, dude, this is so awesome. We saw that movie. I brought my own holy water. No. We're, it's, a stuffy, it's a stuffy seminar. There's a slide projector. Super boring. But we're sitting there, and Monsignor Stephen Rossetti, is, he's doing the slideshow. He's doing this presentation about exorcisms. And he's talking about this case he had. There was an exorcism that took two years to complete. That's one thing a lot of people get confused about exorcisms. They think it's like the movie. You just show up, do a couple rituals. Maybe it takes like a day or two, throw some holy water, say the right words. Demon spins around, jumps out, <laughs> finds the nearest trampoline. Wee, wee. There's a little kid sitting on it. The demon's like, uh-oh, this is not going to end well for me. I got a lot of secrets. Exorcisms can take a, a long period of time, which is an interesting tidbit, which is an interesting exorcism tidbit. It's not generally a one-night thing. So they'll often take breaks. They'll often... We covered a story about that a long time ago. It's actually the one episode of the show that gave me nightmares. I'll put it in the show notes. Where the exorcist took a break, and they shouldn't have. And really bad things happen. I actually had nightmares after recording that episode, but... You have this Monsignor, they're doing this exorcism for two years. They get a couple demons out, the guy's doing okay, the demons show back up, continue the exorcisms, or he just they had some just holding on that whole time. But two years into this, they're doing this exorcism, and one of the things is you want to know the demon's name. You want to know who you're dealing with. So a lot of times you'll compel them to tell you their name. So the Monsignor is demanding to know this demon's name. And it gives a name that the Monsignor didn't expect. You do, because you heard the intro to this episode, but he didn't expect it. This demon, really, this spirit, says, I am Judas Iscariot. <laughs> this person's eyes go from side to side. I don't know if I pronounced that right. But I am Judas. I'm the dude who sold Jesus out to the Romans for 30 pieces of silver. If you haven't attended, if you've never attended Bible school... He was one of the disciples who was the traitor. He betrayed Jesus and said, he's over there. And the Romans grabbed Jesus, held the tr quote-unquote trial, crucified him. Jesus comes back to life. There. <laughs> there. There. You don't have to go to Bible school now. You got it. You got the whole story. Judas is obviously, obviously he's a pivotal evil figure, evil human figure in biblical tradition. He, he is the one who turned in Jesus Christ. So Monsignor Stephen Rossetti is looking at this dude, and he's like, on the bed, and he's talking and saying, I'm Judas. And now Stephen Rossetti says, listen, I have been doing exorcisms for a long time, and I've never encountered someone possessed by a ghost. He says that after this exorcism, and I'll get into how they get rid of Judas in a second, but after the exorcism, he talks to other exorcists and he goes, hey guys, you won't believe what happened. They're like, Judas? And he's like, what? How'd you know? Apparently Judas had been popping up in possessions. It's not super common. But he does. There's actually a exorcism case that lasted from 1975 to 1978. It was a woman in Switzerland. And there's actually a transcript of that exorcism. It'll be in the show notes. Originally, I was going to do like a dramatic reading of it, but I decided not to. I decided not to be in the haunted closet, playing the role of an actual evil spirit repeating the words. So you can do that. You can do that at home. But basically, I'll sum it up for you. 
it's the priest compelling him to leave and Judas being like, nah, I like it here, boss. There's a lot of stretching. Actually, that's a little more dramatic than it actually is. But he's telling him to leave and Judas is like, no, no. And then Judas is like, you don't understand. Like the priest, I, I'm a little, uh, I'm a little sus on what, how authentic it is. But Judas is basically like, dude, the priests today suck because they don't teach the way that Jesus wanted them to. <laughs> As the guy's like writing it down. He's like, I hope the Pope gets this. This is my complaint letter to him. Basically, Judas is complaining that uh, Satan, not even complaining, he's saying that Satan's winning and here's all the ways to defeat Satan. But I'm kind of poking you, I'm kind of poking you and saying you'll never defeat me because you guys aren't teaching the eight cataclysms. You're only teaching the six. So it's a little suspect on that. But anyways, it was an interesting read. I'm just not going to read the words of a departed spirit in my haunted closet. And it was super long. He's talking to these other exorcists, and they say, oh no, we've encountered Judas as well. And one thing he found in common with all these other exorcists, and his experience as well, nearly impossible to remove. Nearly impossible to exercise out of the human body. The Monsignor says that he has gone toe-to-toe with some high-ranking demons. There's a method to this. An exorcism, at its core, is basically scientific. For lack of a better term, you have like science. You want to add baking soda and vinegar. You make uh, you make the volcano. That's how volcanoes are born. You know it's going to do it at the exact same time. You get the measurements right. Same thing with exorcisms. You say the right words. You command the right things. You use the right items like holy water, holy relics. The demon will leave the body. None of this is working on Judas. Holy water. He's taking a bath. He's like more and more. I'm so filthy from being possessed. The rites weren't working. None of the exorcism rites were working. And the Monsignor's thinking about this. Again, this isn't a one-day thing that they're dealing with Judas. He's thinking about it, and he goes, "Jesus In the Bible, Jesus gives his disciples the ability to command demons out of bodies. That's one of the powers that Jesus passes on to his followers. But it's fallen angels is specifically what they have the power to get rid of, not fallen humans. Jesus is like, I'll teach you guys that tomorrow. He's flying up to heaven. They're like, no, no, I think we're going to need that. He's like, bye. See you when I come back. So they don't know that skill. And he goes, we tried everything to exercise this man of Judas. He wouldn't leave. And apparently what happened is the end, the Virgin Mary showed up. I don't know. Okay, <laughs> so I'm... Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I believe in demons and I believe in exorcisms and stuff like that. I don't know how this happened. I don't know if she came like in a vision. I don't know if she walked through the door and they're like, whoa, we didn't expect you. And Judas, Judas actually, I'm thinking about Judas, Judas would know her. Judas probably in real life, outside of, outside of the exorcism, Judas would have met Jesus' mom. You have the disciples over for dinner. Mary's like making a bunch of like food, making a bunch of lasagna. They're like, whoa, this is magical. This doesn't exist back now. And she's like, oh, I know it's going to be super delicious someday. He would have known her. But anyways, the Virgin Mary shows up. I don't know if it was a vision. I don't know if she physically showed up. If she physically, if she physically showed up, I think he would have gone with that. I don't think he would have told this whole story about Judas first. He would have shown up at the Vatican and be like, guys, I know we're having an exorcism seminar, but you won't believe what just happened. The Virgin Mary just showed up. She just walked into a room. And they're like, why'd she walk in the room? He's like, okay, now let me tell you the Judas story. Because <laughs> you don't bury the lead on the Blessed Virgin Mary just walking into a room being like, hey guys, what's up? Got any lasagna? How's my lasagna recipe doing? 
Mary comes down and she compels Judas to leave this young man's body. And that's when Judas is like, I'm out. And he floats away. The, the spirit floats away. It's an interesting story. Again, there's a lot of ifs. If you're a skeptic, it's just kind of a fun story. If you believe in demons and things like that, it's actually incredibly chilling. Because the one thing you want to hope for is if you do get possessed by a demon, which is the one thing you don't want. There's a lot of things you don't want. You don't want to get attacked by someone possessed by a demon either, right? You want to at least believe that someone could rescue you, someone could pull your consciousness out of that demonic control. And we have all these safety mechanisms and all of these prayers and rituals that can help reverse the demonic possession. But now they're running into something that is immune to all of that. And it's a fellow human, not just a human, but one of the most reviled humans in biblical tradition, possessing people. The idea of whether or not a human can possess somebody is theologically divisive. Some say they shouldn't be able to do that. That's the providence of demons. That's something that demons have the ability to do. They can corrupt you. They can make promises to you. They can trick you. But the idea of someone being possessed by a ghost is, it's not unheard of, but it's so rare. The only other instance I could really think of we covered it back on episode 367, The Patriarch. There was an allegation. It was never proven. There was an allegation that the father of the family was possessed by the grandfather of the family and he murdered everyone or convinced them to kill themselves, I think. But being possessed, being possessed by demons is synonymous. That's really what possession is, demonic possessions. Being possessed by an human is quite rare. And there's the and we don't even know if that was the case in the patriarch episode. The question is is could it happen at all? Like it would basically be like you have a house and then it's possessed by another house. It would be like two houses mixed together. But you you know what I mean? Like a, a human soul and a human soul not in a body. How do those interact? It's the same thing. The demon would latch on as some sort of parasite. It's almost designed for demonic possession. It's almost designed to take control of you. Now, a demon can pretend to be a human, right? A demon can pretend to be a human, and you think you're possessed by a human, but the same exorcism rites would work against that thing, because they're not actually a human. This thing claiming to be Judas apparently was Judas. None of the proper rites of exorcism would work on this dude. And I actually think being possessed by a ghost might be scarier. Because you imagine that demons live in this world. They're looking at the game board. The idea of the demonic war between heaven and hell is they have an end game. They go, we know eventually Jesus is going to come back. We're going to have this huge battle in Armageddon. We're quote-unquote prophesized to lose, but we think we can actually win. We think we can do this. So let's summon our troops. We see people are starting to live really good lives. We see someone who's going to end up inspiring millions. Let's go to them. Let's ruin their lives. We see this person out here. They're making a difference in their community. Let's go to them. Let's get them addicted to drugs. Like we are looking at this game board. And if we can keep upsetting the pieces, if we keep attaching ourselves to these people who are trying to better themselves, try to better the world, we can maybe pull out a W in the end. The demons are looking at this huge battle plan. There's seven billion and counting moving pieces. And the demons may be looking at these things where we're going to put our forces here, we're going to deal with this, we're going to do this. 
you just moving through the masses of humanity may go unknown, may be totally unseen. You're not a pivotal player in this war between heaven and hell. Just like me, just a dude living life, trying to make the best of it. But since the ghost has no plan, it's just energy. It's angry energy. It's mad that it didn't get what it wanted on Earth. Everyone's a target. Not just the youth ministers, not just the drug counselors, not just the politicians. Every single person can fall victim to a possessed human. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you plan on doing. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. Everyone is a target. That is terrifying. When you go into politics, you know people are going to write you nasty letters. You know people may try to assassinate you. You know that there will be spiritual forces trying to goad you one way or the other. You don't expect that when you're the garbage man. You don't expect that when you're a video game tester. You don't expect that when you're just a student. But there you are, looking at your reflection in the mirror one day. You get a flash of something else behind your own eyes. You never played a Ouija board. You never went to have your tarot cards read. You never engaged in anything that could open yourself up to demonic forces. But sometimes when you're sitting at home eating dinner, your right hand shakes a bit when it reaches for that knife. You never wanted to change the world. You never wanted to do anything more than have fun. But now you find yourself somehow standing outside a stranger's home in the middle of a rainstorm. You don't get to live your life now. It lives your life. It drives you. It commands you. It makes you do horrible things and you can just watch it from behind your own eyes. And after you have annihilated families, after you have led police on a multi-state hunt, it is not until you are tried, convicted, and sentenced to death that the spirit of this vicious, bloodthirsty human leaves your body, leaves you to sit in the cell, leaves you to contemplate leaves you the memories of the crimes it committed. And when the appeals have run out, when you yourself are being laid down on that metal bed, a needle inserted into your arm that will slowly inject medication that will stop your heart, you pray for mercy, but none comes. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Bye.